be awake now. <laughs> oh my word, that's awesome. Good to see you guys today, and I think I'm kind of loud too. I'm, no, I'm normally really loud anyway, but I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Welcome to our second service. We had a great first service today, and uh, man, we're just seeing our church grow every single week. So glad to have those of you who are guests here today. I want to just say a special welcome this morning to Paul and Melissa Vaughn, who are in town. Many of you know them, and welcome, guys. Good to see you this morning. We are starting a brand new series, as you heard very loudly a few seconds ago, called The Adventure. We're going to be talking about a series going into a journey with God's living word. And, and this is a series I really believe is going to be a powerful series for all of us as we, as we commit to going through God's word, as we commit to reading God's word and practic practicing it in our life. I know that if you'll commit with me to, to just really engaging with the word of God, I know that your life can be transformed. The reason I know that is that is exactly what I saw happen in my life. Whenever I was 14 years old, that is whenever I trusted Jesus as my Savior. My mother led me to Christ. She shared the gospel with me. We'd been going to church for a while, but I didn't know. I knew a lot about God as I was learning about him and just, you know, in Sunday school and things like that, that we'd been going and, and to a church. And, but I didn't know him, and, the, and, the, and she shared Christ with me, and I was saved by God's grace through faith. It was not of myself, you know, or what, my, by myself or what I had done to earn my way to heaven. It was purely by God's grace, and that's what we believe and teach here at Eagles View Church. And, and my journey with God began at that point. But, but listen, I really didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know that much about God's Word. I just heard a little bit about it at that time. And I started at that time at age 14 just kind of dabbling in the Word of God. I had an aunt who gave me a Bible for a Christmas gift, and I started reading it a little bit. But the extent of my exposure into God's Word was I might read it a little bit when the pastor would open it up on Sunday morning, and I would read with him. I never really read on my own. Uh, the other extent of God's Word in my life, or the Bible, so to speak, was when the Ten Commandments would come on every year at Easter, and I'd watch Charlton Heston, you know, and I'd watch that, and I'd be like, man, I'm getting me some Bible today, right now. And uh, so I would hear it, or I'd watch a video, or it wasn't a video then, I'd watch it on television, and, uh, and, and that was kind of the extent of this. And, and, but I never really spent daily time in God's Word, reading it on my own. And, and I just want to shoot straight with you today. I was saved. I was secure in my salvation. Reading God's Word does not get me to heaven or, or make me earn my way to heaven. I was saved by God's grace. But listen, it wasn't until a youth pastor that we had at our church started really challenging me. He said, Bart, I, I'm glad you're saved now. It's time for you to start growing. And he started kind of trying to disciple me at this time. He said, uh, you've got this Bible. I want to challenge you to start just reading. And he gave me a reading plan. I want to challenge you to start reading it. Start reading it on your own. And it's whenever I did that, guys, I want to tell you that's whenever God really started changing my life. I started realizing that there were all kinds of things in the scripture that I just did not know were in there. It was this new journey that really began for me, this adventure with God's word. And, 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 and I got at age 17, that's whenever, and I'd been reading through, I decided at age 17 that I was really going to commit to reading through the word of God in a year's time. And I said, I'm going to read through this. I'm going to commit. And I, at the time, I'm just telling you, I didn't really like to read. 
I was not much of a reader. You know, I didn't just read for leisure or fun. I would read school in school if I, you know, if I had to, and, uh, and I did. But I didn't really just like to read just on my own or whatever. But I started doing this, and, 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 I, st- and I decided I was going to go through God's Word in a year's time. And guys, at this time, I started falling in love with the Word of God. I, I started at that age, I decided that, and, and we didn't have our phones with us that had the Bible on it, I started taking uh, my Bible with me to school at Boswell. I started taking it with me to school, and I would read it uh, sometimes at lunch, I would read it sometimes in classes, just being honest, I would read it, and, and I was just devouring the Word of God, and my friends that I kind of hung out with before I became a believer, and they were still my friends, but they were like, dude, what's up with you? You, you always have your Bible and you're, you're reading. What's going on with you? And why, why do you read your Bible? And I was like, I, I read it because I like it. I'm really starting to get into this. I'm start, you should read it. And I would share something with them, and they'd be like, man, I didn't even know that was in there. Little did I know that was kind of the beginning of me sharing God's word with other people. And uh, so it was at age 17 that I did this. And I also, that's at the age that I really started hearing from God in my own life personally. I started hearing from him and discovering that God was putting a call on my life. And, and I read a passage in Isaiah chapter 6 that where it says, Whom will go for us? God saying, Who will go for me? Whom will I send, uh, send on our behalf? And Isaiah says, Here am I, Lord. Send me. And guys, it was when I read that, I was like, This is for me. This is for me today. God, you're calling me. There's something going on here. There was this connection that was happening. I was hearing from God. Just a few weeks later, our pastor on a Sunday night would preach from that passage of Scripture. And, and I was like, God, you're calling me into ministry. Now, I'm not telling you today that if you read the Word of God uh, and you commit to doing that, that God's going to call you to be a pastor or a missionary. He might. But, he, but I'm not telling you that he's going to do that. But I am going to say this, that God's going to start speaking into your life. We hear people all of the time that say, I, I just never hear from God. I don't feel like there's any connection. And, but yet there's this, this huge neglect that happens with God's word. I've been on an adventure with God in the word of God. And it's been on some ups and some high points. And there's also been some times where I've had some dry spells. And there have been times where I've not been as committed to reading the word of God. Just being honest with you today. Now, do I have anybody in here this morning that you love to hike do you have anybody that likes to do that? Lift your hands up this morning. Help me out. Okay, just a few of you. Really? Okay. All right. But, but we had our, our Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts in the first service, and they're going to be in the third service with us. Too. Those guys are raising their hands. We're in on the hiking. Our family loves to go hiking. And uh, we, we kind of rotate back and forth on our, on our vacations. And one vacation, we go to mountains, and then we go to beaches. And, and uh, I'm all about going to the mountains because I don't have to take my shirt off, okay? And, uh, and so anyhow, but, but we go, <laughs> and so is everyone else, by the way. And, and we, go to the, we go to the mountains, and, and when we go there, we love to go, we love to go hiking, and uh, I realized last summer, because you guys blessed me with some time off to refresh myself, I, I, and, and I traveled some last summer, I got to go hiking in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee last year, got to go hiking last summer in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, and then we went to an area that we'd never been before, we went hiking in the Cascades up in Washington State, and even spent some time with Paul and Melissa while we were up there, and it was an incredible time, so, so Hope and I, we, we, we were doing this hiking in the Seattle area last summer in the Cascades, it was beautiful, and, and we love to hike, and we do some hiking around Texas, but, you know, I, and I'm a Texas guy, but I'm just saying the hiking here is just not the same. 
The scenery is not the same. There are shrubs. There are not trees, you know. And as we're hiking in this Washington State area, Hope and I are up on a trip by ourselves, and we're spending some time connecting as husband and wife. And, we're, and I said, let's go hiking. And when we're going, we didn't know what we were getting into on this trail that someone said, you need to go hiking on this trail. This is what we saw while we were there. There were trees that were 900 years old. I'm a big guy, and look how small I look next to that tree. And, and, and we saw this beautiful, roaring rapids that were down by the trail that we were hiking on. There was this rainforest-like plant life. We saw three waterfalls on this trip where we were hiking. It was beautiful. We saw Sasquatch running through the forest. We, no, seriously, I thought at any moment, I told Hope, I said, it looks like a T-Rex could come out around the corner right there. It looks like Jurassic Park. I mean, it was just so beautiful, and, and we loved it. It was an adventure. We didn't know what we were getting into whenever we did that. Luke and I, we went hiking uh, in the Smoky Mountains as we were on a family vacation up there, spending time with our whole family, and we went uh, to the Appalachian Trail area. And I don't know if you guys know, but that goes from Georgia all the way up into Maine. And uh, Luke and I, we made that venture all the way. No, we didn't, okay? We actually did about three miles. Uh, look at that sign, 1,972 miles on that trip right there. Um, we actually met a guy while we were there that was making that trek. He was doing that. I don't know what the guy does for a living. He's either really rich or he's a bum, okay? But he was doing this, and we, we went up to a Klingman's Dome, and we were hiking. There was wildlife that was there, and there were, they said there were, they had spotted, you know, these uh, black bears that were out there. I mean, it was just beautiful, beautiful adventure. Luke and I loved it. My family loved it. The guy who was hiking the Appalachian Trail, he took our photo while we were up there. We talked to him. He shared with us about his journey. I mean, it was just an incredible thing. It was a great adventure. We did some hiking uh, also in, in Colorado with the McAllisters. And just, we just really love to hike. We love the, the, venture, the adventure of it. One thing about hiking is this, is that it takes a little bit of work, right? If you ever go hiking, it especially if you're out of Texas doing some hiking, it takes some work. And uh, it, it, sometimes as you're hiking, you're, you're going down the hill, and that's a good thing, right? And, and you're kind of coasting, and it's easy. And then there are other times, because you know this, when you go down the hill, what's coming up? Up the hill is coming. And so you better savor those down-the-hill moments, because next you're going to be, you know, just kind of uh, working and struggling and sweating and being out of breath. And, and, and I love hiking. I love the great sense of accomplishment that we would get whenever we would reach our goal. And then we realized, oh man, now we got to go back. You know, now we got to do this all over again. I loved all of that. I loved what that was like. I loved the wildlife that we would see. I loved discovering things that we had never seen before, especially when we went up into the Washington State area and saw things that we had never seen before. And we just, we loved this. And when I think about what my journey through God's Word had been like, it's really kind of been like this adventure. There have been times where I've had these, these really struggles with God's word where I'm just trying to get through certain portions and it's like going uphill and I'm wrestling with it. There are times where I'm kind of coasting downhill and it's like, man, everything seems to be just popping and, I, and that's making sense to me and that's speaking into my life and I, some of you are nodding your heads. You know what I'm talking about. 
And, and, and then there's this great sense of accomplishment whenever you kind of have what we call that aha moment when you see something like a waterfall or a tree like that that's huge. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, that's in there. That's, a, that's part of the adventure. Seeing things and hearing things from God that maybe you didn't hear before, or just having things reaffirmed. And this is what my adventure with God has been like as I've been in God's word since a 14-year-old 14, 14 student. What we're hoping to see come, happen in the coming weeks is that for some of you, we know that maybe you're like I was, and you're coming to church, and, and you know, you're a believer, but maybe you've kind of disengaged from God's word. Um, for some of you, maybe you've never really engaged God's word to begin with. And what we're praying is that in these coming weeks that you'll begin to have this appreciation for God's word. If you're a believer that's been out of the word of God, we don't want to guilt you back into the word of God. We want to help you fall in love with the word of God. We want to get you to a place where you realize that, that it's a treasure in your life. And, and, and so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about just different components of that and what that means. And, and, and uh, we're hoping to help people re-engage the word of God. Today, we're just going to have a snapshot of some of the history and the cost. That's really what I want to focus on is the cost of, of how we got God's word, how we have the Bible and what it costs people that we might have something like this, the, the word of God to us, the mind of God revealed to man. Next week, we're going to talk about, can the Bible be trusted? Is it reliable? Is this something that we really, because for a lot of folks, that's one of the questions is, I don't know if this is really reliable. I don't know if it's something that can be trustworthy in my life. Or, or, and for others, it's, I don't know if it's really a, a, a relevant kind of book. You know, it may be something that we revere, but it's not something that's relevant for me today. What we really want to help you understand in the, in the coming weeks, not only just a little bit of the history of the Bible and the reliability of the Bible, but... But probably more importantly, we want you to know how to use the Bible. We're going to be teaching you in the coming weeks how to practically put it into your life. How to, how to use it for things that are happening in your life. That's what we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks. Now the challenge for us today certainly is not, it's not accessibility to God's word, is it? The challenge is not access. The problem is not access to the word of God. In fact, statistics tell us that the 25 million copies of the Bible are sold annually here in America. Did you know that? I mean, that's a lot of Bibles that are being printed out every single year. 25 million copies of the Bible sold annually. The, the Bible annually tops the top seller list here in America. That's been happening over the last 50 years. 92% of Americans own a Bible. Access to the Bible is not our problem today. I, I own... Uh, I certainly own one. How many of you and kind of did this in first service and it was astonishing to see how many Bibles we have here? I, uh, how many of you say, I own a Bible, lift your hands up today, lift them up today, okay? How many of you, you have, in your household, you have at least two? How many of you have two? Okay, you can look around, see just about everybody's. How many of you have three? Four, keep your hands up. Anybody have four? Five? Does anybody own more than five? Anybody, six? Do I have seven, seven, eight, nine, nine? I've been watching too much Storage Wars, okay? And, uh, and, and, but, but seriously, I mean, last, last um, I guess they, they own more in the first service. We had people saying they, that they own 10 to 15 Bibles in their household. 
And, and, and so it's just, it's just it's amazing to think of. Now, I probably, over the course of years and through seminary and different courses that I needed a certain version or whatever, um, I, I, I don't even know how many I, total, I have totally, but I know I probably have somewhere between 50 and thir- 15, not 50, 15 and 30 Bibles. That does not include the parallel one that I have that has every version back to back to where I can look at that. That doesn't include the access that I have online. That doesn't include all the versions that I have on my iPhone. That doesn't, that's just, just the Bible, the hard copy. That's what I have. So as you can clearly see, access to God's word is not our problem. It is available to us. But statistics also show us that, that fewer than half of Americans can name the first book of the Bible. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. Less than a third can name who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Do you know what the number one answer was? Who preached the Sermon on the Mount? Billy Graham. <laughs> like, really? Okay. Um, Billy Graham. Um, some of you are going, he didn't? Um, that was Jesus, just saying. Okay. Um, but but, but 12% of Christians believe that Noah's, Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. Okay. We're some ignorant people, aren't we? All right. Um, and uh, 80% of believers, this may kind of mess some of you up, 80% of believers think that the old adage, uh, God helps those who help themselves, that that is, that is in the scripture. And some of you are going, it's not? It's not. You know, anybody know who said that? Benjamin Franklin said that. Okay. Um, but we think that's in there and we're like, we quote it. You know, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. It does? Where? Well, I don't know, but it's in there, you know, and that's kind of what we do. And, 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 and so anyhow, and, then, and, and Bible literacy is not only big with, with adults, it's, it's huge with our students that are coming up. This is something that greatly concerns me is that, um, is that our kids are coming up and really uh, coming up not knowing the word of God. And one of the main reasons is because many of our parents don't know the word of God. And we don't read the word of God with our kids and we don't talk about it with them as the scripture says that you should walk with them and share this with them and, and teach them these things and watch for teachable moments and, and, and we're not seeing that happen. By the way, our student minister, Kyle, I love what's going on in our student ministry. If you have a student in that age, you need to get them up here on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings. Kyle just took our kids on Wednesday night through the book of Philippians. They're going through the Bible. Their Bible, it's being taught to them. He's challenging them to read it for themselves, just like I had a student minister challenge me, and it changed my life. And that's going on here, and we're seeing that happening here. Listen, we don't need more access. But what's so conflicting is that in the similar study, at about the same time, the Gallup poll that was taken revealed that 75% of Americans believe that the word of God is, is e- or that the Bible is either the word of God or is the inspired word of God, that 75% of Americans that were polled in this believe that. George Gallup said this after looking at all of our, our knowledge about the word of God, what he ended up saying, he said, we as Americans, we revere the Bible, but we do not know it or read it. And I thought that's an accurate depiction. We, we hold it up as this holy book and it's something that's holy, but we don't care about it. We don't, we don't read it. We, we entrust maybe a pastor or, or, or someone to, they're the ones that are responsible for telling me about this and feeding this to me rather than us as, as maturing believers where the scripture says we start feeding ourselves. You know, aren't you glad your kids get to a place where they start feeding themselves and you're not having to spoon feed them, you know, past a certain age. 
And, and so what, what we hope to see happen is, is this. We hope to see happen is that we would recognize the scripture for the treasure that it really is. That's a key thought for you today is that God's word is a treasure. It is an absolute treasure. We want, we want to talk just briefly about the history of this. And, and, and you would think that, that, um, that this would make us incredibly literate as, as we have access to the scripture, but that we just find that that's just not true. We're going to do something different today. Um, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take your Bibles. And if you, if you will, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verse 12. And here's what we're going to be doing different today. Um, you can either take your Bible by book, and I know we live in the 21st century. Some of you don't use it by book now. You have your phone. You can turn with me on your phone. I don't care how you use it. Let's just get in it. Some of you are really fancy, and you have your, your iPad, and you, you have it on t a tablet. And isn't it interesting that that's where it came from, and now it's come full circle, and now it's a digital tablet. <laughs> And it's back on a tablet. So you can't be saying, you can't have it in a tablet, man. That's not right. It came on a tablet, okay? It just wasn't digitized. But what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you, and if you're asleep, then you're going to have to wake up, okay? I want to ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God today. We don't worship the Word of God, but we worship the God of the Word. But I want us to stand. Throughout history, churches would do this. When God's Word would be read, people would stand to honor it. They would stand together. If you look in the scriptures, you'll find that God's word would be read to multitudes and they would stand while they would read to them all day long. So if you think I'm a long-winded preacher, some of those guys back then were seriously. But here's what the word of God says. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, go back to verse, the beginning of verse 12, and let's say it out loud together. Let's just, not the whole verse, but just the first part. Say it with me. It says, for the word of God is living and active. All right, let's just pray about this. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the access that we have today. Thank you for the freedom that we have today. And Lord, my prayer is that you would bless the reading of your word. Your word says that it shall never return void. And so I trust in that today, Lord. Get me out of the way and speak to your people. May it take root in our lives and transform us as we begin on this adventure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Some of you are going... I, th I thought that was it, man. I thought we were, no, we're just getting cranked up, all right? I'm excited about that. Scripture says that, what does it say? It says there are a few things about it. If you're taking some notes, you can write these things down. It says in describing that the word of God, it says that it is alive. It's living because it's the, it's the word of the living God. Now, your Bible's not sitting there breathing or whatever, okay? But it's, it's living because it's the word of the living God. It's not just ordinary words on a page. It's not like just any book that you would read or, as we, you'll see in the coming weeks, a collection of books is what it is. There are 66 of, of these that make up our Bible today. 
And, and, uh, and so it, it, the Bible tells us about itself that it's living. It's, it's not just any book. It's a living kind of book. It says that it's active. It's, it's more than just an ancient historical text, as some people might see it like this. This word active, it actually translates this way. It's powerful. It translates this way, full of energy. That's the way that it translates. It translates life transforming. This is what God's word is. And I, I'm a testimony of when I really started getting in the word of God, my life started changing. It's because I started learning more about the God that loves me. And, and, and here's what it's filled with. It says it's a sharp two-edged sword. It's like that. What that means is it cuts to the quick of what's going on in our life. It speaks to us. It cuts through the bull in our life. It, it really gets to the intent and the motives that are going on within our hearts. You can't, you can't lie to it. It, it, it just kind of is like a scalpel that cuts through all of that. I want you to think about what this is. It shows us our purpose in life. Think about what a treasure this is. It tells us how we can have a relationship with the living God. That's what we read. We find out about that when we read the scripture. It tells us why we're here. It tells us how to get to heaven. Jesus said, no man comes unto the Father except by me in John 14, 6. It tells us how we get to heaven. And so you would think that would be enough that we would go, we really treasure this. This is really something that's powerful to understand and learn that it, it tells me these things regarding eternal matters. And we care about that. But what some of us do is we we kind of come to the place where we say, okay, well, I found out how to be saved now, and I'm a saved person, and I know that I'm secure in Christ, but then we, we remain what the Scripture says, babes in Christ. We never grow. We, we never feed ourselves. We never get to this place where we start nourishing ourselves and growing in the Word of God and growing in our spiritual walk. And so we kind of set it aside, and we think that its only purpose is just to tell us how to get to heaven. But I want you to know that the Bible deals with and covers with everyday practical things that you and I are dealing with in our lives. And, and it has all throughout history what people have been dealing with. It, it speaks to everyday, the everyday person about what's going on in their life. It talks about our relationships and how we relate with each other. Just being honest, has anybody in here ever had a relationship problem? Would you raise your hands, okay? And don't lie, you're in church, okay? The Bible says something about lying. Yeah, we all do. I mean, every single one of us, because we're human, we have problems in relationships. And the Bible talks about how to navigate in relationships. It talks about how to forgive. It talks about how to let go of things. It, it, the Bible talks about how to, what your marriage should look like. The Bible talks about, you know, those kinds of things. It, it talks about parenting which I know is a big thing for, for many of us who have kids. We, we don't feel like we know what we're doing sometimes. The Bible talks to us about parenting issues. It talks to us about children's response to authority and what that should look like. Uh, the Bible talks to us about money, which is a big thing for many of us. And, and we're, we need to know how to handle that and what do we do with our money and how do we manage that. It talks about, and you may not know this, but it talks about sex. You may think, well, we can't, we can't discuss that or talk about that in church. That's, you know, that's for the world to talk about. No, it's in the Word of God. 
In fact, we've done a series about it here before, and we went through Song of Solomon, and we talked about what the Word of God has to say about sex and God as the creator of it and his view of that and what a beautiful gift it is to a husband and a wife. It deals with stress, and I know I've got some stressed out people. It deals with how to work through anxiety. It deals with all kinds of things regarding practical everyday life the way that we live. It's all these things I mentioned, and I don't think it's coincidental that the prevailing problems in our culture coincide with the incredible indifference and ignorance of of our culture today when it comes to God's Word. Are you with me on that? Listen, people all the time are going, man, our marriages are failing. We don't know how to manage our money. Our government sure doesn't know how to manage the money, right? Um, We don't know how to respond to authority. We're having parenting problems. We're looking at all of these problems that are just part of our culture, and we're going, we just don't know where to turn to. Maybe the next politician that comes along is going to fix everything. Good luck with all that, right? And, and, and what's so incredible is that the whole time we have access to the living, active word of God that deals with all of these different matters. But we're ignorant. We neglect the scripture. Uh, this scripture here that I want to read to you, um, the psalmist understood God's word as a treasure. Look, look at what he says in Psalm 119, verse 9. David writes this. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man do that or a young woman? How, as parents, we want our kids to, to grow up to be godly kids. and good. How can a young man do this? How can, how can this happen? Look at what it says. In fact, would you read the next part of it with me? What does it say? By doing what? By living according to your word. How can a young man stay pure? How can a young woman stay pure? By living according to your word. And look at what David says next or the psalmist says next. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Commands would be your word. Um, he goes on and he says, and this just evidences that it was a treasure to him. I've hidden, we hide our treasures because we don't want someone to take them from us. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. Just talking about his word here. As one rejoices in, everybody say it with me, what? Great riches. You see how God's word is a treasure. It's something that is to be treasured in our lives personally. He doesn't just treasure it. He says, I meditate on your precepts. I think about it. I apply it. I think, how does my life uh, coincide and intersect with what I'm with what I'm reading, what's going on here, and what I know to be the Word of God. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. Now, everybody, say this next part with me. Let's say it out out loud. I will not neglect your word. But that's exactly what most of us do. And I'm just going to be honest with you. There are times, even as a pastor, I find myself with busy with the ministry working for God, and I go, I haven't even read my Bible today. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And, 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 and I find that my life is kind of out of balance and I'm going, what's going on? And then I have to recenter uh, myself and say, I've got to get back into the word. I have to recenter myself. I have to get back to what is a treasure in my life. The word of God was understood by, by these people as a treasure. It, it was understood as a, as a privilege. He says, I will not neglect your word. This word neglect is a Hebrew word. It's shakah. 
It's where we get our word Shaka Khan, okay? If you were wondering, those of you from the 80s go, I know what he's talking about. The rest of you are going, what? Okay, bad joke, really bad joke, okay? But, but Shaka, it actually means, it may be hard to recover from this, Shaka actually means this. It means to, I will not neglect your word. It means I will not lay aside your word. It, it means this, I will not forget your word. Here's what it also means. Take for granted your word. That's what he says. I will not take for granted your word. It's a treasure. It's something that I treasure. Access is not our problem. It's a treasure that has been experienced throughout the ages. I, I will not neglect your word, but so many people, what do we do? We take it for granted. We, uh, we neglect it. Why is it that so many people neglect the word of God just very quickly? Um, in, a, in a poll that was taken, 64% of Americans polled why they didn't read the Bible, said they were too busy. And, and I mean, I think a lot of us could relate to that. We live very busy, fast-paced lives. And, and, uh, but I started thinking, okay, the word of God is like, it's our spiritual nourishment. It's what we feed on. And, and I started thinking about this. Most of us, we do not forget that it is time to eat, right? Um, we, we, we realize that, all right, it's time to eat. Eating is, I get to eat soon. That's coming, and that's what we think about. And, and the Word of God, it's talked about in this way that it's our nourishment. I've only known one person. I really, I mean, you may know some, but I've only known one person who ever forgets to physically eat, and that is my very pretty but very skinny wife, okay? She forgets to eat, I do not relate to this in any way. I'm like, I'll be like, so, Hope, what did you have for lunch today? You know? And she's like, lunch? I, 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 you know what? I didn't eat lunch. And I'm like, what? Well, how do you forget to eat? I'm thinking about lunch while I'm eating breakfast. You know? What are you? And, and, but, but, so that's the thing is, we're like, we don't forget, and catch this, we don't forget things that are, or lay aside, or neglect things that are, important to us things that we do treasure things and and many of us we treasure that time that we get to physically eat okay and 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 here's the thing another reason people don't read 80 percent said it's too confusing or it's hard to understand a lot of people think that it's just a holy book that that just the pastor or is supposed to have and talk about uh, a lot of people don't realize that it's relevant for their everyday life and we want to really talk about this in the coming weeks one of the things that's really been heavy on my heart, though, and what I just want to spend the rest of our time this morning, just a little bit of time, one of the things that I think, one of the reasons we neglect the Word of God, we lay it aside, we take it for granted, what's been on my heart more than anything is that I think that most folks, uh, although we have incredible accessibility to the Word of God, we don't appreciate that, and we kind of forget, or many of us, we just don't even know what it has taken for us to be able to have God's Word. We really just don't, we don't get that. And kind of like, you know, how we as Americans, we forget what it has taken and the sacrifices and the costs that have been paid for us to be free. This morning on my way to church, this morning very early, I was driving up here and this was on my heart. I was driving to church and I was actually, I was thinking this and praying this over our community. I was think, thinking, God, thank you this morning that I'm free to go preach your gospel. I, I get to do this. I get to freely proclaim who you are by, and not feel threatened by a government. Or, and, and that's because people paid a price so that we could do that. 
so that we can assemble. I was thanking God for that this morning, and, 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 and what I think happens is just how we kind of start taking our freedom for granted. We start forgetting that people have paid for that. I really think that that's, that's a large portion of what happens with the treasure of God's word for many of us, even though we might have a dozen or more Bibles. Well, just in the time remaining, what I, what I want to do is, is, I, is I just want to give you a snapshot of some of the price that has been paid for us to have the Word of God. And, and really just a quick snapshot of some of the historical uh, factors that came in place and, and how it started coming about that we have the Word of God. Now, I went through some seminary classes that took a couple of years to go through all of this. I have a few minutes, and so I'm only just be mentioning things. What I'm praying is that this will kind of whet your appetite, and you'll go, I want to know more about this. I want to know about how we got this. We'll talk more about reliability of the scriptures next week. We'll talk about this, you know, in the coming weeks more. So if I don't, if I don't hit everything in depth today, it's because we just don't have time this morning. There's another service coming up. And, but, but let me just give you a quick historical snapshot. It started thousands of years ago, somewhere between 14 and 1500 B.C., with with, with what we call the Ten Commandments, when God himself wrote the Ten Commandments on, on a tablet. And, and he put it on a tablet, and he ascribed these very first words of God in ancient form of Hebrew on stone tablets. And God gave the Ten Commandments and his law to Moses while he was on top of Mount Sinai. And God began speaking his word to us at that point. He told Moses to go and stand before the people and tell them, this is what I'm telling them today. This is what I'm telling them and how to live and, and giving them instruction, what they should do and what they should not do and the way that they should live. This is what's going to begin pointing them to the fact that they need a savior. Believe it or not, that's what the law was for. It was to begin showing them that they can't even keep up with all of this. They need God's grace in their life and so years later, the very first scriptures, which is known as the Pentateuch, that is the first five books of the Bible. This includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. For hundreds of hundreds of years, they were recorded on what was called papyrus. Papyrus was a reed-like kind of, of, of plant that was beaten to a, a paper-like kind of substance. And, and they were recorded word for word, letter for letter. And again, don't have time to get in to this today, but the reliability factor is astonishing because there was a group of people called the Masoretes. The Masoretes were scribes and they were meticulous and, and they would record this uh, on, on, God's, uh, on, on this paper. Papyrus is also uh, where we get our word uh, paper. And papyrus, whenever it was translated into Greek, was the word biblos. And it's, that's the Greek word biblos. It's where we get our word Bible. And that word Bible means the book. That's what it means. It's the book. Now, it's a collection of books. We know this. But by approximately 500 B.C., we had the completion of the 39 Old Testament books that had been written. Again, we'll talk more next week about who all wrote these, these things and, and uh, the different men that God used. The 39 books that we know today as the Old Testament were completed in about 500 B.C., and they were preserved in Hebrew and Aramaic, and they transferred this from the papyrus onto animal skins that were called scrolls. Uh, and, and they started transferring this because they lasted longer. And, and, and so it was like they were writing this on leather. And this was known as the Tanakh. These, these 39 books was known as the Tanakh to the Jewish people. And a scribe might use an animal skin of a deer or a cow 
or a sheep, but they would never use a pig because that was considered unclean. You don't put God's word on pork rinds, okay? And so that's what was going on there. However, I have had bacon while reading the word of God, and I must say it is incredible. And um, what's interesting, though, is that when the entire Pentateuch is, is found on a scroll, it's called a Torah, a Torah scroll, and it would, when it would be completely unraveled, now this would just be the Pentateuch, the first five books, when it would be unraveled, it would be over 150 feet in distance. That's a big Bible you're carrying around, right? Okay, on this scroll. So check this out. The scroll was so long that it would often take an entire herd of sheep just to make one Torah scroll. So you see that there was a huge cost that was being paid. It cost a lot just to get one copy. It would take like a whole herd of sheep just to get the first five books. People just did not have access to the word of God the way that we do today. They didn't have it. The, they, they had a few of these because it would take months and even years for them to meticulously copy this over and over again. And now, just kind of skip it, skip it. There was no printing press at the time. That would not come until, uh, you know, about nearly 2,000 years later. And, and so you could see that it was costly. It was time-consuming. In 200 B.C., there was something that was called the Septuagint that was completed. Uh, you may have seen it this way, where you've seen the Septuagint. It's like the Roman numerals LXX. That's for 70. Now, the Septuagint was completed in 200 B.C., and, and Ptolemy, who was a king at this time, he had 72 Hebrew scholars that were called upon that he wanted to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Koine Greek, which was becoming more and more accepted in what, the way that they were speaking in that time among those, that people group. And when they came back together, they, came, they, they went and translated it independently of one another, all 70. This is what is said about this. When they came back together, they discovered that they had all translated it identical, that it was all the same. This is called the Septuagint. Uh, now, skipping ahead a little bit here, at the end of first century A.D., this is after the time of Jesus, this is when the New Testament and the epistles and, and the gospels began to emerge. And in the end of first century A.D., about 95 A.D., this was when the, there was a completion of all the original Greek manuscripts that the New Testament, uh, that we have in our New Testament today, they were completed by about the end of the first century. Again, we'll talk more about it next week. But now, now keep in mind, just a snapshot today, just a snapshot of all that's going on. Now, these, these books, the, the, the uh, Tanakh, as well as now these letters that were being circulated by Paul, these gospel letters that were, or these gospels that had been written about Jesus were being uh, preserved and, and were being accepted as God's word. Now, the Jewish people obviously did not accept uh, the, the New Testament that as it was being uh, uh, circulated at this time in these letters, they rejected that, and we understand that because they reject Jesus. But in the year 367, in 367 AD, there was a bishop by the name of Athanasius. And Athanasius wrote a letter, and, and this was just kind of an affirmation of these, were, these uh, works of the, of the New Testament being accepted by the early church at this point. He wrote a letter that was called a festal letter or an Easter letter. And in this, he identified all of the 27 books that you read today in the New Testament. And, and again, just giving you some dates, and these are some things that you can begin looking up for yourself and kind of checking this out. In 382 A.D., there was a, there was a guy by the name of Jerome who he translated, he was commissioned to translate the Hebrew and Greek text into what is called the Latin Vulgate. 
The Vulgate, it also means vulgar, um, it was being translated into the common language of the people. Now what this meant was that people were now getting access to the scriptures. People's eyes were being opened. People, people were beginning to be enlightened about things that God was wanting to, to share with them. In 393 AD, there, this was just another affirmation and a ratification of our, our current Bible today. The, the church fathers at this time in one of these councils at the Synod of Hippo, Hippo in 393 AD, they got together and, and because there were heresies that were emerging, false teachings that were emerging, they came together and said, we need to agree that this is the canon of Scripture. And so they, they agreed that this is what it was, as had been accepted through the coming years, and rejected some of the heresies that were emerging at this point. Now, again, despite the year 500 AD, the Bible had now been translated into over 500 different languages. God's word was going out. People were starting to understand about this. But something terrible and tragic happened in 600 AD. Latin was declared by the church, and this was the Catholic church at this point, the early Catholic church, they declared through a, what's called a papal bull. They declared it wasn't an animal. It was, it was a saying that this is the way that this is, and this is what the Pope is declaring, and we are agreeing in this, that the, the Latin language is the only language that will be permitted for Scripture. And in fact, they were so serious about this that anybody that was found with any other kind of Scripture that was in any other language than Latin, I mean, this will bless your heart, they were put to death and executed for, for having possession of that. This was a way for the early church to have this control over people in this sense. And this was a horrible time in the history of the church. It was, it was a terrible, terrible time. And you may be wondering, why did this happen? Unfortunately, the, the Catholic church at this point became very, very corrupt. And the priests were the only ones that were educated in Latin, in the Latin language. At, and, and the common person could never, ever read God's word. They would, the, the priest would have a copy of it. Oftentimes, it would be chained or roped off to the pulpit of their place where they would gather to worship, and he was the only one that could read it because nobody understood Latin at this period in, our, in, in the history as this was going out. And so, so what this meant was they could start teaching the things that only they wanted to teach. They could take out some of the things and not teach some of the things that needed to be taught. And they could also add in some things because nobody would ever know. It was about this time that they started adding in something called indulgences. You guys ever heard of indulgences? Indulgences was where they would say, for a certain amount of money that you give me, you can gain forgiveness from God. Well, bless my soul. Thank you very much. I can be forgiven if I pay you, is what you're saying. And this became very common. And it just, this was going on in the history of this time. And indulgences emerged at this point. The, the uh, theology of purgatory emerged at this point. You don't find purgatory or indulgences anywhere in the Word of God. In fact, what you find in the Word of God is that we are saved not by how much we pay a priest or how much we pay a pastor or a church. We are saved by God's grace. Amen? And we know that. And we read that. And we go, we know that. And so when you hear stuff like this, you go, man, that's wrong. I don't, I don't understand this. 
And so what was going on is, is they were, you know, if you just could pay enough money, you could gain forgiveness. And, and the priests were very corrupt at this point. And so what God did, God raised up. This was through about 400 to 1400 AD. This was called the Dark Ages. And during the Dark Ages, it was a dark, dark time in the history of the church. And, any, and I mean, they were just massacring people who would begin to want to know more about the truth of God's word. And, and, and you may be wondering, how did the church break free from this horrible corruption that began to happen? And the answer is this. Once the Bible, the truth of God's word, started being looked at for what it really was and started being read by people who could read it and understand it, they started looking at this whole system that was in place and they were saying, there's a problem with this. This stuff isn't in the Bible. And yet this is what we're doing and this is how we're functioning. This is wrong. So just as soon as they did this, you can imagine the authorities that were in charge at that point started saying, if you're going to rise up against us, we're going to persecute you even further. There were guys like uh, John Wycliffe. Some of you may have heard of John Wycliffe. It's also said Wycliffe by some people. Um, he was a, a man of the, that God used to do tremendous things. In fact, he was the very first guy to translate the Bible because he did know Latin. He was able to translate the Bible into English. And he started making copies of this. He didn't have the printing press yet to be able to make mass copies, but he started making copies of this. And, and, and the church started getting upset that people had copies of, of the Bible in English and were looking at this. And so you know what they'd do? They'd execute you if they found you with one of those. You would be executed. And, and Wycliffe, he was pursued by them, and they hated him, and he was called a heretic. And, and, and they, would, they wanted to kill him. He eventually died of natural causes later on. But uh, he was one of, the, one of the men that God used to, st to start what was called the Reformation of the church during this period. Wycliffe also, or Wycliffe also had a disciple, another student, whose name was Jan Hus. Jan Hus, and, or John Hus. And, and Hus was equally passionate about getting uh, God's word into as many hands of the people as he possibly could. Unfortunately, he also was called a heretic. And he would take uh, Wycliffe's writings and he would get them to people. And he began having others that started copying this. Again, the printing press was just now coming on the scene. And as he did this, they took him and they labeled him a heretic. They burned John Huss at the stake. And do you know what they used to start the fire? The Bibles and copies of the Bibles that Wycliffe had copied and made. And, and John Huss said this as he was being burned at the stake. These were his final words. He said, in the next 100 years, God will raise up a man who will call for a reform that cannot be suppressed. It was prophetic. And at this time, within that 100-year period, in 1517, God raised up a man named Martin Luther. Some of you have heard of him. Raised up Luther at this point. Now, Luther was, he was a Catholic priest, and he was terrified about how he was going to get to heaven because he's being told you've got to earn your way to get there. And he's going, I can never be good enough, even though I'm a priest. And he was terrified. And then you know what he did? He read the book of Romans. And when he read the book of Romans, he discovered that if he called upon the Lord to save him by God's grace, he could be saved. But then he started looking at what he was reading in the book of Romans and what was being taught and the corruption with the indulgences and all of this going on. And he said, man, I've got a problem with this. This is not right. 
And so he ended up developing what was called his 95 Theses. And on October 31st, he nailed those to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And, and, and it was his way of saying it was a document with 95 claims of heresy and false teachings against the Catholic Church. And this was one of the big things that really got the Reformation going to where, again, we're a part of that. The Protestant Reformation where people were saying, this isn't right. We need access to the Word of God. He was chased after. He was persecuted. There's some great movies about him, by the way. He wasn't a perfect man. But also during this time, as the printing press had emerged, now he had started translating the Bible into German, and it was being mass-produced now. Word was getting back into the hands of the people, and the people were saying, we've been duped. This is wrong. This is evil. And they stood up to this, and of course, there was a lot of blood that was shed during this time. John Calais, he's another guy. Just very quickly, he translated the Bible into English for his Oxford students. Students, He, he taught. Uh, he was a teacher. And during this period, he said, I'm going to start teaching rather than it being taught in Latin. I'm gonna, and that's what the way it was being taught, and nobody knew what any, anything was being said. He said, I'm going to start teaching this in English to where I'm teaching the Bible in English. And he started teaching this in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. When word got out about someone teaching the Word of God in English, 20,000 people would fill that room every Sunday. There would be so many people in there, and that, that, they did multiple services. They were the first ones. There would be 20,000 people on the outside waiting to get in because they were hungry for the word of God. They were wanting someone to tell them the truth. And this was going on at that time. Now, just as a side note, what's very sad is there's only about 200 people a weekend that go there today. That's just a sad, sad reality, and a lot of those are tourists that will go in on a weekend. Guys, I could just go on and on. William Tyndale, he was another one that was burned at the stake for, for getting the word of God out. Wycliffe, Huss, Tyndale, Luther, all of these were persecuted because they treasured the word of God, trying to get it into the hands of the everyday person. They paved the road so that you and I would have the access that we have today. If these guys were alive today and they realized that we had 15 Bibles in our house, they would just be like, what? I mean, that's crazy. One community would have one Bible, you know? And that we, now we can scroll and pick it up at any time we want, anywhere we want. We have the Word of God. The Word of God says, I will delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In conclusion, what I want you to take away today, and we're going to talk about reliability and things in the coming weeks, but I just want you to take away a deeper appreciation for the word of God the, 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 that you freely possess and that you can read it whenever you want to. And you may think that, you know, that only happened back in the dark ages, that people would have the word of God taken from them. Guys, it's going on every single day in countries all over our world. Where believers just like you who have the word of God are persecuted because they, they're believers and they're reading the scripture. It happens in places like Laos that we're engaging now. It happens in places where there, there are Muslim, militant Muslim countries where, where believers are just persecuted. Watch this.
Can you imagine if someone said, from this point forward, this is illegal? What if that happened? It, it's happened in other places all over the world. I know, because I know what we're like, we'd be like, you ain't telling me I can't read that word. I'm reading it. There'd probably be this, what we were talking in our staff meeting, there'd probably be this kind of new reformation that would begin where people would say, we treasure this. You can never take it from us. I'm just thinking, if it was worth their lives, it has to be worth our time. And that's not to guilt us, that's to say, we have this. Let's pray about this today. God, I will not neglect your word. Thank you for that passage, Lord. I thank you for the price that the high price that has been paid so that we could have your word in English for us today. Thank you, Lord, that the Reformation occurred and that, Lord, in, in 1611, Lord, a, a king by the name of James said, we want this thing mass-produced and it's the authorized version for the church. And it was for the Church of England at that time. And the word has been going forth ever since. Lord, this morning, it, it is not our prayer, God, you know, to try to make people feel bad so they read the word of God. We know that that doesn't last. Lord, we truly just ask that you would just create and stir up a passion within us, Lord, again for your word that it would be a treasure to us. I thank you, Lord. We don't worship the word. We worship the God of this word that it proclaims and talks about and tells us how to know you. And I just thank you today, Lord, that we know you because of your scripture. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.